So welcome back to another edition of the Impact Sessions podcast with me, Nick Bramley. I've got a genuine delight to have a guest along today who is Fennick Smith. Uh, he's the Chief Executive of Floki Health, a company I've had the pleasure of doing some work with and look forward to working with again. And we've entitled this week's podcast, A Genuine Ambition to Improve NHS Services. That's quite a challenge and we'll explore that in a bit of detail as we welcome our guest, Fennick Smith. Welcome to the podcast, Fenn. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Are you all right? I'm good. Another Northeast guy. We might have to have some interpreters for the uh, those <laughs> who are outside the region. Uh, but hey, you know, it's, uh, it's it's where we work, it's who we know, it's what we're doing at the moment. So um, I've, written, I've written a little intro about you. You might blush, actually. I've put, I'm delighted to be in the company of one of the most authentic and passionate business people. I've ever had the pleasure to know and work with. Um, I'm going to explore that passion and your passion, particularly for improving the NHS and our personal health scare was a catalyst for that. So um, genuinely, Fen, I always enjoy your company. I enjoy working with you and you've got a DNA that just says, get this done. So <laughs> welcome again to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Let's explore. So let's start with a bit of potted history. Um yeah. What makes you tick? Where do you come from? What have you done? Talk us through your career highlights a bit. And, and how would you best describe yourself in terms of your, I guess, your business skill set and passion? What, what are you? What's Fenix Smith? Yeah. So where do I come from? Um, a little town called Concert mm-hmm. in the northeast of England, a steel making town. Um, son to a, another entrepreneur who was also called Fenix Smith. Um, he, uh, he ended up uh, run his own business before dying prematurely. But um, in life, I think um, kind of your uh, your darkest hours help you to um, to build as a person, mm-hmm. to um, create vision, um, and and uh, explore the fact that life isn't forever. Mm. And um, I think when you hold those things in mind, um, it helps you to, as you say, get shit done. Yeah. Um, and I think um, you know. I'm an engineer by trade. Um, I studied manufacturing systems uh, at Northumbria um, and then went to work in industry mm-hmm. in, in a fairly tough and abrasive industry, um, a company called Express Engineering, for which I'm um, grateful eternally. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a 48-hour standard week and then weekends on top. <laughs> um, and um, it kind of gave you the... Um, the insight into there's opportunity to make money. Um, it was a new industry at the time. It was uh, oil and gas and project management. And, um, and what I took out of that was um, was hard work, um, you know, be in the right place at the right time, listen to people and um, and treat money like it's your own when you mm-hmm. spend another people's money. And, and I've lived by that trade um, forever, really. Um, I then went to work for a PLC, uh, developing a printing technology, got patents, um, ended up um, eventually after five years or so um, obtaining the IP from that and then started my own business in 2007. Um, so um, that, that's where I am, what I've done. Okay. And in terms of my skill set, um, I would say that... Um, I'm always questioning, um, and and that thirst 
it leads me to um to not accept things generally um you know um and i've always had an interest and intrigued um by um how to make things better i was just going to say the bit that gets me with you is how to improve something how can how can we do something better with what we know exists right now and we'll come on to floki and why that you know, is what it is and, and whatever. Um, but the other thing that strikes me about you, Fen, is you, you also like to surround yourself with people who are, can add value to that process. You know, we'll talk about the Floki business model later as well, but, you know, um, it's really it's really easy to see when you're in your company about that sort of passion. But you look at process in a, in a very different way to many people. You look at it and go, well, that's not that's not very good. That could be better. And and you almost create a rod for your own back by thinking, I bet we could improve that. <laughs> and I love that energy. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, one of my skill sets is knowing what I'm not good at. Mm. And, um, and, and understanding the scope of that and then finding people who are better than me, um, mm. significantly better. And empowering those people, you know, it's um, it's not what? really rocket science, but well, it's rocket science for some, Fen, because some people don't like that. People don't like to be surrounded by people who are more knowledgeable or better. You know, there's a lot of people don't have that same vision and viewpoint on that basis. But uh, yeah, I yeah. will I will cover later. Go back to your engineering days, 48 hour working week, you know, work ethic and getting up early. You walk your dog at an inordinate amount of sort of early hours, and you actually, for those who don't know, you go surfing in the North Sea on a regular basis, don't you? You must be absolutely mad. Those who don't know the North Sea, it comes from the Arctic. It's literally yeah, well, it's about six degrees at the minute. So, yeah. <laughs> how often do you do that? Um, three or four times a week, if I can. Um, it just depends what the surf's doing, um, what what my diary's like, and who I'm going to yeah. disappoint. Is it good thinking time as well, oh, clearing your head? You know, um, it's a really good point. Um, I, I like doing sports that give you some headspace. I mean, I, I was swimming quite a lot um, after my backup, mm. um, but obviously with the, the situation with swimming pools and COVID at the minute, it's impossible. So last year I took up surfing and I was a complete novice and now I'm absolutely bitten by the bug of getting yeah. freezing cold. Um, are you are you planning Hawaii on the big the big wave? Well, they're not the sure. Down. That would be um, yeah. I, I am actually I'm thinking about it for sure. Um, okay. I think, I we'll, uh, we'll explore your back injury later, but anyway, no problem. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, I think there's there's three things with it. It's the singularity of um, when the surf's big, it's dangerous, um, yeah. and you've got to be in the moment and you know just absorbed by what's happening, where you need to be, the effort, the energy depleting yourself um it gives you a, a load of think time when when it's in between sets um and i think um it just makes you at one with nature i've, yeah. I've um i've started uh, well since my backup i i've really i've changed my lifestyle you know mm-hmm. um focus of work is very important but so is um, your mental health and mm-hmm. your physical well-being and I think um, the blend of those three, um, as well as your family, um, are, are the balance that gives you happiness. You know, wealth and money come and go. Yeah. Um, but those those attributes they're uh, they're really critical. You know, and they're the, constant, they're the constants, aren't they? That you've got. They are, yes. Excellent. Irrespective okay. of how much money you've got. 
Um, and 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 I and I like to spend my time doing things that are of value. Mm. Um, and um, you know, I'm I'm a father of two small girls, well, small, as in um, as in twelve and nine. Yeah. And, um, and a wife and a dog. Are you uh, homeschooling then? Yeah, yeah, we are, um, which is a challenge. Yeah. Um, but you know, I can't really complain. They're, no. uh, they're good. Good set of kids. Well, they, they get the DNA from the parents as well, but let's move on from that. So, so you're an engineer and a process and a, and a, and a, and a that kind mm. of guy by background. So you're not a healthcare professional. Yeah. You've not worked in the health sector previously. Uh, you've had little or no experience of being around the NHS until you launched Floki uh, no. Health in December 2017. You've mentioned your back injury. Talk to us about what that catalyst was. What what was the what was the light bulb when your brain doesn't switch off and you were laid in hospital? What was the score? So um, 2016, um, I came back from a skiing holiday with a family um, and my back just progressively got from bad to worse to impossible. Mm. Um, I ended up um, having a herniated disc. And for those who aren't medical, it's basically the contents of your soft, squidgy donut discs in between your vertebrae. Um, it basically squirts out like jam donut and presses on your sciatic nerve. This and, goes, uh, goes, hang on, this goes out at seven o'clock in the morning, this uh, fence. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so um, yeah, so it created a huge amount of pain. I was on crutches for eight months and um, kind of it, it focuses the direction of um, the fact that you can't think um, and when you come out of that, and I think it's like every dark period in your life, um, something is is out there that is positive. Mm. And if you can focus on that and you can search for it, um, you can treat every negative experience with a positive attitude. So what did you see then that was a bit of a, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged with the NHS on a regular basis. Yeah. I'm laid up from time to time. I'm on crutches. I'm getting uh, treatment and all that kind of thing. What was what was going through your mind that was a germ of an idea? Because you are entrepreneurial by spirit, so yeah. your brain doesn't stop. What what kind of thing was going through your mind? So I was I had a real difficulty with the internal processes. Um, you know, one consultant would have to write a letter to himself to arrange an appointment to do something. Mm. Um, and and going in between um, different trusts and the the period of time, and it almost felt like there were hoppers and bins where um, letters went through to meet targets. Um, you know, within an eight week period, you needed a response and then to be seen, and then and it felt as though you know, and and workflow is always in my mind. You know, whip. I was yeah. you know, whip is work in progress. And the, the principle is um, the more amount of whip that you have, the slower the process flows. So you've got to reduce the whip and get a faster flow and ultimately improve your productivity. I mean, there's lots more to it, but um, that's the principle. And I felt that I was being redirected from, even though I was ringing up and my wife was ringing up, um, you know, to try and expedite that process. And it was an incredible... Um, result out the end of it but it took eight months and I and I thought um, I had a consultancy business and a, and a printing business and I thought I, I need to redirect my priorities and try and 
look for the opportunity, mm. get into a local trust, listen to what problems they have, and then to leverage some of the manufacturing systems and efficiency over the last 20 years that I've had, mm. uh, you know, and some of the people who I've worked with who, you know, 20 years ago, there was a, um, there was a business that was manufacturing circuit boards at South Shields, and they had a fantastic um, workflow process that was way ahead of their times. Um, and I was, I was involved in a PLC where um, the then um, director of manufacturing uh, came from, and I learned a huge amount from him in mm. terms of the flow, um, in terms of measuring in real time. Well, this was every two hours. We'd measured every workstation and we'd write it on a big control panel, um, which was the size of a room. Literally, it, it um, was around the room. And every two hours, the um, heads would come in and, and write their details down. And then, um, you know, you'd be able to change resource to be able to go to the right place or to, mm. you know, meet the, the objectives, whether they were to reduce your whip or to reduce the inventory or to improve cash flow. And, and that's the same problem that the NHS have. They just haven't got the tools at the moment to be able to measure in real time. Okay. So did the um, advent of what can be described, I'm assuming sort of hardcore pain medication, did that help you to be creative in terms of, you know, you, you, your mind's wandering, you're probably in a bit of agony and, and you've got thinking time on your hands while you've got downtime from work. Was that all connected to, you know, what you after. did? Yeah, it was after. To be honest, Nick, I was trying to, I was trying to find the odd hour where I wasn't in severe pain. Mm. There was a white wall of noise. And when, when you do have a busy mind um, and you are constantly thinking of things, um, not being able to manage that pain and um, have uh, clarity of thought um, and the mental capacity to do something about it, mm. it gives you a real anchor on how bad life can be. And in the inverse of that, how life can be good when it's just okay. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, so afterwards, it was the determination that was, um, people are telling me it can't be done, which yeah. is always a good indicator that it can be. <laughs> um, and and that, that change is really the issue. It hasn't, um, been, it hasn't been done, doesn't mean it can't be done, does it? Exactly. So I spent a year in 2017 um, looking at different technologies evaluating different systems, mm -hmm. thinking of how we could um, get the right technology to achieve the right goal, mm. to meet that objective. And we evaluated eight different technologies. And well, let's come on to that in a second, because we've touched on Floki, but we haven't yeah. told people what it is. So yeah. in essence, what is Floki Health about? What are the technologies and what's it designed to? I think people can obviously guess already it's about improving a process or improving performance of, of, of something. Yeah. So talk us through Floki. Give us a, I don't want a sales pitch necessarily, but a, you know, give us a pitch on what Floki is about. How does it work? What does it do? What's its primary objectives? So the principle behind Floki, first of all, is being able to see the key assets in a building or in a location or in an environment. What would you class as an asset then? An asset could yeah. be a medical device, it could be a vehicle, 
it could be um, a consumable, it could be a bit of drugs, it mm. could be not a bit of drugs because nobody, yeah. nobody does a bit of drugs. Um, it could be blood, it could be organs, it, it could be any interaction where what you're trying to do is you measure, you're measuring uh, four things. You're measuring the status, mm -hmm. the asset, the location, and the time. So the, state, the status, I guess, is, yeah. is it working? Is, yes. it, is it broken? Is it, you know, is it fit for purpose? That's the first part, I guess, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, and by measuring those things mm -hmm. all the time um, and integrating different technologies to feed that data into your system, um, we produce a digital dashboard. And that dashboard is um, it's to define per user what they want to see. Uh, and that could be um, a ward wanting to know where all their bladder scanners or um, T34 pumps or uh, intravenous pumps are. And do they have the right equipment, the right location? And that drives efficiency. Um, I think some of the stuff that we've seen is that they reckon that there's an hour on average, an hour of nursing, frontline nursing time could be lost per nurse, per yeah. shift. Yeah. looking for equipment i mean that sounds astonishing but these these trusts they are massive and they've got massive amounts of equipment and somebody moves it from one place to another from one ward or one part of the ward to the next is that just the state of doing business in the nhs then it's it's the accepted norm unfortunately nick mm. um and it's inversely proportional to direct the positive results because somebody might go i want to keep that asset because i know i'm going to need it <laughs> what that does is it means so I'm going to hide it in, in a storeroom or in a cupboard or something like that, and um, and so they know where it is, but it might it belong to somebody else or a different ward. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody on their ward might not know where it is, and they've got to go and ask where it is. Different shifts, you know, they're not different all shifts, three shifts. Yeah. two shifts, you know, sometimes with no handover, um, and and that happens and. And the concept through the good people that work with me, um, we came up with a process of being able to set limits. You know, how many of these should be on the ward? What, who, be, who do they belong to? Are they positioned in the right place? And we color code them that mm -hmm. way. And we present that data in a live environment that helps you to understand what the status of, um, of your assets or medical devices are. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't matter. The value, the value changes depend upon how you read the information in or, yeah. or manually put the data in through barcodes. So. I'm, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming there's a lot of assets get out in the community with community nursing and all that kind of thing as well. They, they are. And um, actually, you know, we've actually pivoted um, in 2020, as you can imagine, hmm. getting into trusts um, that were on, on lockdown. Um, you know, it just, it's been a no-go. So we've yeah. repositioned, we've um, focused to trying to, um, understand the community opportunity um, and there are um, T34 pumps that go into the community mm. that are managed on a spreadsheet um, and they're not tied up to an asset database and it's the interoperability of, of what we're doing that can not duplicate the information but add value to an existing platform and, and with that we can you know scan a barcode um, drop a GPS position or attach a GPS device or listen to it on a vehicle and see where it is. And all those integrated systems help you to um, create this, this layer of data 
mm. that provides information, live information to act on now, um, value-add information so in the future you can make um, assumptions and, and, and sort um, sort the anomalies out from the standard data. You can probably make some good procurement decisions if you know that you, you thought you needed five new bladder scanners, but actually you don't. Those five new bladder scanners can be replaced by something else because those five bladder scanners are in someone's cupboard and we now found them and we now know we can track them and we now know that they're being moved around the community and we can find them any one time. So yeah. there's a lot of advantages to it, isn't there? It's not just about like yeah. live time, real time tracking. It enables, um, what I would say is it enables to people to think differently. And when you, when you give the opportunity, and we run a workshop mm. um, where we listen to what the problems are and then associate the right technology to deliver a solution for that. Mm. But ultimately what comes out of it is um, a set of engaged staff working in the NHS, employed by the NHS, solving their own problems with a tool that they never had before and when you take emotion out of it and you take the anomalies out of it, you're left with something far easier to make decisions on. And that's that's the principle of what we're trying to achieve. And I wouldn't say that we've done everything by any means. We are at the races. Yeah. Um, the engagement of the staff and the re relationship building that you have um, enables you to, um, to get some credibility. And with that, and then purchase orders come. I think um, someone, I think someone's put, a, I think someone's put a big fence up in 2020 with uh, on the race course, haven't they, with uh, COVID? But uh, I think the principle, the, the, the challenge, we we came up with this com concept, didn't we, of um, getting into an NHS trust is hard because it's who does it belong to, whose agenda is it, whose you know budget, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think you know anyone who's looking at how you've done this particularly well. So instead of going trust level directors and, and saying we can do this for your sort of department we've gone one ward one floor one building one trust where's your biggest problem yeah. and it might be that you've just got a problem on one particular ward that stuff keeps going missing or one particular floor between two wards where you know and it's proof of concept isn't it really so this workshop this workshop that you run is it important to get different buy-in from different people? I guess ward sisters as well as procurement and all that. Yeah, stakeholders are imperative. Um, without that engagement, really, you're trying to do something to somebody who doesn't want it done. Um, mm. So there's, you know, and you and, and I have done work on, you know, identifying those right stakeholders, you know, um, and, and the work done on Scotsman um, is imperative to identify are they in the right position to buy? Mm. Um, have they got a problem to solve? Are you unique? Um, and to be able to have a, a rating mechanism, it helps you to identify where you should be putting effort and time. Um, and um, without the engagement of those stakeholders, it's it's like, we, we, I don't believe we're selling at the moment. We're, no. not, we're trying to change the way that people think. And that is to make things available for everyone, not to hide them for themselves. I think um, I think the other thing that goes with that is if it is about problem solving, isn't it? It's problem solving that you know that yeah. they have they have a problem and you know they've got a problem. It's getting someone to admit the level of that problem and the fact that wouldn't it be great if that problem didn't exist anymore? And you know, I 
can, can we just explain, go back a step? It, it's to do with um, the technology is about beacons. It's about GPS tracking. It's about, then it's linked into a, some kind of, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, a dashboard, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, at any one time then, if I'm a ward sister, can mm -hmm. I find my bladder scanners that belong to my ward, even if they're not on my ward? Yeah, so we, we attach, um, uh, well, we give the capability of different inputs into the system. And one of those is a, is a beacon. And when the asset or the device demands it, we put a beacon on, on a, a portfolio of, of devices. Mm. And then we listen to them through gateways that are strategically positioned in the hospital. Mm. And then we display that information. Where is it? Where is it last seen? Yeah. And in some cases, you know, we, we started with the NHS um, by running a workshop and doing a very small app that helped them to do some stock check, just some rudimentary barcode scanning. Mm. And it saved nine days worth of work just on scanning their assets. Wow. Um, and um, for the medical engineering team. Yeah. And, um, and then it got me thinking, you know, what are the other things? And there was a moment in time, and um, I'm going to say it, and you probably never come across it, but there was an important lady called Amanda, um, and I walked up to her, and she was a ward sister. And the guy who introduced me after we'd done a workshop, um, he said, oh, this is Amanda. She runs this ward. Um, and he introduced, and he was about to walk off. And, uh, and I just I said, Amanda, tell me what the problem, the biggest problem that you have. <sighs> I've just spent three hours today trying to find my bladder scanner. I've sent people out. I've looked myself. I've been off the ward. Yeah. And I'm really frustrated. This happens two or three times a week, and I cannot figure out how to solve it. I was like, well, Chris, champion. We have our we have the criteria for success here. We've got mm -hmm. somebody who wants to solve a problem. Yeah. There is somebody, irrespective of what people say, because if you're going to spend the time in inefficiency, you can spend the time in efficiency. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a definite, there's a passion there to fix it. Need her in the next set of workshops. Mm. Um, and we now need to focus and prioritize. And um, so we let everybody have the chat. Um, we plot it on a, on, a, on a graph where we thought um, the frequency of occurrence and the value in doing that activity was. Mm. And then we set 13 use cases out of it and we provided a roadmap to try and help them understand um, the technologies, the costs, and, uh, and to get a set of stages that we were going to sign off. And that's the technology, what the technology is pretty simple, isn't it? The technology is pretty it's, simple. It's, it's, it's how you interpret the data and, and, and the values in the data, I guess, isn't it? Yes. And it's how how automated you want it. Um, and what, what else is happening? You know, there's, um, there's something called GS1, which is what the NHS are seeing the value in. Mm. And this is, this is scanning barcodes. Um, and the barcode is a, is a unified barcode which describes what the asset is or mm. what the location is or what the resource is or um, what the process is. And to be able to integrate that within our platform gives us um, a really good opportunity at the very, very lowest cost. Um, so, you know, for a very small amount of money, you can prove 
and by scanning the barcode, you're demonstrating that that asset is there. I was just going okay. to say, part of, one of the questions I had was about the frustrations, forgetting COVID as a, a blocker, and, and obviously mm-hmm. the NHS are, are quite rightly focusing on you know managing and balancing that. But before that, yeah. and post-COVID, what are the frustrations then? Because it seems to me it's fairly straightforward to be able to prove concept for someone to get it and then go, why don't we look at deploying it? Are the politics involved, operation people involved? What's the what, selling into the NHS, supporting the NHS, meeting your ambition to improve performance in the NHS? What are the what have you found, uh, uh, Fen, in terms of some of those frustrations? Yeah, I, I think um, it's commonality. Um, so there's there's a lot of trusts. Um, well, there's two hundred and thirty three trusts. Mm. Um, and in those trusts, there's the same um, roles, but called different things. Um, so there's no commonality there. Right, yeah. um, the, the gateway or the pathway through is incredibly difficult. Um, the landscape of the organizations, you know, of each individual trust and the CCGs and the AHSNs and the NHIR and the CRM, it's, <clears throat> I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowingly complicated and there are people what i would say there are people trying to simplify that whole process mm. um and, and we're working at the moment to clearly and def- um and to define a value proposition and um, we're working with the hsn um to provide one front door into multiple trusts right um but sometimes it takes a leap of faith nick Mm. Um, and when when we look at the the stakeholders and what criteria um, you know leads to a successful deployment, they they need to, an, a level of autonomy. They need to be able to take an element of risk. If if it's unquantifiable, but it's in the right direction, and the risk is low and the opportunity is high, then there should be an empowerment of those people. Well, that, that's a cultural thing, though, Fen, isn't it? Whether people have got the, I guess, the authority or the autonomy or the confidence to make those initial decisions. You need that ward sister who had yeah. that light bulb moment to have a budget that says, prove to me this works and I'll back you and I'll champion you, won't you? That's kind of what you're looking for, aren't you? Exactly. And we found we found that lady who was, who was that one. Um, and it was after doing three different projects of small scale. Mm-hmm. I, I sat, sat her down and we had a good long discussion. And I said, we've met the criteria. Um, it's okay to say yes now. Let's mm. progress with a proof of concept. Let's do one ward. Yeah. Um, and, and from that moment, it grew. And it grew into, um, into first of all, gateways and Bluetooth beacons. And then we... it. it so this is this is my real bugbear. You never know what the specification is going to be at the start of the project. Right. So how on earth can you build a cost for that? You're right. developing software. You're changing culture. You're facilitating tools that are decided as you come across the problems. So are they, try, are they trying to procure things that they don't know what procurement looks like and therefore they're putting a number on something and a value kind of thing? Yeah, well, they're trying to um, read a brochure to understand mm-hmm. a problem. Um, and it's only by, um, it's the rub of getting people in the same room or yeah. on the same call 
and deciding what the roadmap looks like and committing to that roadmap. Um, I was going to ask then, you, Ben, I was going to, you've probably covered this. I was going to ask you if I was an NHS trust senior director, mm-hmm. what would be the process of, you know, engaging you and considering you? It's not a brochure, is it? It's not even a look at your website because everything's it. So you talk about getting people on a call or in a room. Talk me through what that is that like a pilot scheme or is it what is it talk talk us through that um so we would run a workshop um but for the first point of engagement is to find that right stakeholder and they have to say the words i have a problem i want fixing it's (laughs) very simple right um and i have an element of autonomy and i want to spend this money to do it however big or small it's yeah. the commitment and there's loads of literature on it um you know um there's a, a really good book that helped me um which is steve blank um the four steps of epiphany um yeah. and, and that's about a lean launch and only engaging with the client um once that has been articulated that they have a problem and yeah. you can fix it and it's it's sharing that vision with them um, and surrounding yourself with a team of people who share that those goals and that um, that ability to get there, and whether that's in a different cycle of technology or business development or sales or mm. um, technology challenges or clinical um, governance, you you fit the right team around and solve those problems and iteratively bit by bit you solve those problems i i guess the more rollouts you do mm-hmm. the more people see the physical aspects and the attributes of what you deliver yeah that's going to help isn't it you're going to get some level i'm not going to say it's going to be a tsunami of opportunity because yeah. you've still got to culturally get people to yeah. understand it and get it but i'm yeah. just going to take us away from the nhs because i know that because of the covid uh, situation and, and not being able to access the nhs you've been working on sort of like mobile asset tracking for you know people out in the community uh, customers with healthcare assets that move around from site to site you know operating theater operating theater that kind of stuff is is that a development that's got other legs outside of of healthcare absolutely um i mean i've i've got this personal ambition of helping the nhs mm. principles that we have um are um they they can be applied to any industry to any process Mm. it's it's being able to define where things are and how you can influence the the future result of it Mm. so we're currently engaged with um, a really innovative high growth business that is in the in the care sector Mm. and they they have locations at the nhs um, and they have their own locations and they've got other challenges of um, vehicles with kit going to places. They've got, um, and, and, and it's creating a business case, Nick, where the value that you're adding is significantly more than the cost to do. It's yeah. like it's simple ethics business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and having the flexibility about being able to choose, am I going to barcode scan that in? Am I going to listen to it on a, on a gateway and assets tagged, mm. or am I going to put a GPS device in a vehicle so that I know that it's en route mm. to this um, and and to this location and integrate that? And the great thing with um, 
with digital innovation is that the connectivity of it is incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, scheduling systems, asset databases, um, you know, there's governance, obviously. And we, we migrated to Azure um, at the back end of last year, and that's being able to help us to create very quickly a, um, an engagement point where mm-hmm. the data is the trusts or the business. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's that's in answer to the question just gone. Uh, yeah. We, we create a demo online with their data um, and we tag a couple of assets and we show them. And it allows people the opportunity to breathe and think, if only this was my details yeah. to address my biggest concern. And that that's a roadmap. That's like and that's, that's how we do it. Your roadmap, you're looking for little light bulbs all the way along oh. probably different stakeholders, aren't you? <laughs> Nick, it's incredible though. I mean, what I would say is, you know, it financially hasn't come to fruition yet. Um yeah. But there is an, there's an emotional benefit in working with the NHS, and that is that your impact on people's lives, yeah. the time that, the, that it's needed. And that's, that to me is, um, I can't pay bills with it. No, um, but not yet. Not yet, um, but um, I can lay my head on my pillow and think I'm doing something really positive, and that's, that's what... That's my um, ambition is to... Love that. And that's why I said genuinely authentic guy, you know, and, and, and it is in your DNA, Fen, and, you know, I love that. It, and, and you can see that when you meet you, you can see you on a Zoom call, you can feel it in your sort of uh, presence of what, yeah. make you, what makes you tick. And, and I, think that's, I think that's really important for your NHS clients yeah. who will see that. You're not a sales guy. You're not trying to sell them something. You're trying to solve a problem for them, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And they're diametrically opposed. And sometimes you just got to jump the bridge to go to the yeah. point where you say, give me a purchase order. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, listen, what's next? 2021, we don't know how long the tunnel is and the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know what, you know, is going to happen in terms of, at some stage, my view is the NHS are going to have to look at clawing back, you know, massive amounts of spend. You have yeah. to look at efficiency. You're going to have to look at, all sorts of ways of doing stuff, and I'm not political, but does that that might mean merging trusts? It might be reducing overhead. Surely your time is current and now and imminent on that yeah. basis because it's about efficiencies, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm pleased I started three years ago, um, and what we have now is is a saleable product. It's but it's a tool. Mm. It's a tool that's gonna. It it's it's like a carpenter with a sharp chisel. You know, a carpenter without a chisel is only going to hammer it. Yeah. And and I'm just thinking of the simile off the cuff. But but with a, not only a chisel, but a sharp chisel, it gives yeah. them a tool to be able to make something. And, yeah. you know, you ask somebody a direct question of where was it? Is it adding value? What's the overall equipment effectiveness? Yeah. Um, what's the whip? How many have we got? Where are they located? And it's an impossible question to answer. Mm. So how can they provide a solution to that? Yeah. The solution is it's a tool to, to register that and create data around that and then develop business intelligence that allows you to add value. So when people ask what's the value of it, and we I have a, um, a health economist on board who is looking at the data and saying, okay, well, if this was propagated across the whole NHS or at an attrition rate, then it would add this many billions of pounds or take this many billions of pounds off. And it is to that quantum. 
Um, and it's engaging with those people in a in a way that um, doesn't take a huge amount of time. And I'm, so what's next in 2021? I'm investing a lot of time in the AHSN um, to try and get a single front door. Mm. Um, we're developing the technology to be able to um, very quickly and simply give them a proof of concept um, systems. So how much does it cost? What's the benefit and, and how quickly can it be done? Mm-hmm. And what team needs to be there? And, and, and lastly, really, it's to get some traction, you know, with, without, without the traction of paying clients, any business goes to, to seed. Yeah, yeah. And what I would say is that the businesses we were on board now, they've got some real good prospects. We're working with one of the biggest trusts in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got nine sites. They've got um, 50 million pounds worth of assets. You're doing a very small part of that at this stage. Yeah. So even if 2021 meant that you opened up another six of those sites, that would be, that would keep you going ready yeah. to absolutely ride the, uh, what I don't want people to think about is about being an opportunist. Cause it's not, no. it's actually about three years of hard bloody graft and investment to be in the position to make yeah. the difference that you said. And I promise you now, even if people have not, you know, they don't work in the NHS, they don't know people who work in the NHS. This has been really inspirational, uh, Fen, in terms of looking at how you as a business person have, have found an opportunity to help and then being really kind of not surprisingly rigorous as an engineer and a process guy in taking that to a marketplace, despite the frustrations. And I mean that, despite the frustrations, yeah. because you weren't selling to the NHS, you were selling to corporate in some way, shape or form. It's an, an easier in, isn't it? You know, the doors, you know where well, the doors decisions are. Decisions are made, you know, directions are given and, you know, there's a leader and it follows. Mm. The disparate nature of the NHS is the, is the challenge of being able to innovate. But what I would say is there's a big but. COVID, for all its downsides, has had an upside in change of... Um, in change of culture and concept. Mm. You know, if you look back at the start of COVID, some incredibly talented people worked extremely hard to make the Nightingale Centres in nine weeks. Yeah. I mean, if you'd have said in 2019, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And stuck two fingers up to you and told you to jog on. They've had had 65 committee meetings that it would would have been in session for years and years singularity decision made we're going to make a set of these what's required shake yeah forget the politics of it we're all on the same team yeah this is the goal and it's in times of war you know i mean you see behind me there's a little fella down there it's churchill i mean he's a flipping um incredible leader you know not everyone liked him but um he had a passion and he was driven by the thought process to succeed mm-hmm. and he engaged with people to go on a journey for for his chosen words yeah. we are independent yeah um and and the nhs it's an accumulation of a lot of goodwill and, and a huge amount of energy in a positive way to, to cure people. What more could you want to spend your time doing? Yeah. You know, we're humans at the end of the day. You know, when I was ill, somebody else fixed me, you know, after 
after eight months, he put his knife down my back and took away my pain. Yeah. And I want to help those people. That's the, that's how simple it is. I think I think we leave that as the parting thought for this podcast, Sven, because that was passionate and emotional in the right way, which I don't expect it to be anything other than having worked with you, Sven. So what I'm going to say is, first of all, thank you so much for being a guest on the Impact thank Sessions. Uh, th- there's a slide there for those who watch it, which tells people how to access the content, which the, uh, most people know now. It's on the website. It's also on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube, etc. If Phoenix inspired you, you work in the NHS, you're a stakeholder, you're a frustrated ward sister, you've got lost uh, assets or whatever, then Phoenix contact details are there as well. Um, there's only one place Floki Health are going, and that's continuous upwards uh, progression. And it's all about, you know, like you say, putting something back and helping out. So, Fen, that's been insp- inspirational as I thought it would be. So, thank you for being a guest on the Impact Podcast. Yeah, it's lovely to see you again. And then um, all paths are going to cross something very soon, I'm sure. Keep, keep well and keep keep surfing. Come yeah, on. exactly. You too. Thanks oh, very much, Nick. Keep surfing, mate. Okay, see you later. <laughs> <Cheers>. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye.